All right, wonderful. Welcome everyone. We're so pleased that you're able to join us today. I'm Sandy Smith and this is Casey Bonner. And we're thrilled to welcome you to breakout communications that meet people where they are. Today, what we're gonna do is I'm first, I'm just gonna give you a little bit of an outline of what to expect today and then we'll get into it. So we wanna give you a taste of Upspoken. This is the campaign that was created by the California Wellness Foundation. We'll tell you a bit about the rationale for the campaign and the results that we saw. Then we're gonna share with you some lessons that we gained and the insights and some ideas for how you can put those lessons into practice. Then we're going to invite you to have a chance to chat with a couple of colleagues and think about how might you make you lessons. So take a moment to think, what is a campaign or project on your plate right now and how might this project benefit from you having greater awareness of where your audience is coming from? Then, as you listen today, please jot down your thoughts about how you might use these ideas. All right. Then, after the breakout sessions, we'll come back together. We'll have 15 minutes to debrief. And as we go along today, you're welcome to use the chat. We'll try to keep an eye on that as well. So, a bit about me. Hold on, I'm going to forward the screen. I'm the communications director at the California Wellness Foundation. And for the past couple of years, I've had a chance to work on this campaign, Upspoken. I have found it a personal joy and inspiration to work on a campaign that ties directly to who I am as a Black woman. At California Wellness Foundation, I design and manage both external and internal communications. And I just find it so gratifying to work in an organization that prioritizes communications and raising our voice as a key strategy for making the connections between racial justice and the health and wellness of Californians. I also acknowledge two extraordinary Black women who were key to the work that we're going to talk about today, one of whom I believe is here today, and that is Crystal Crawford. Crystal used to be the, uh, one of the program directors of the California Wellness Foundation, and now she is the executive director of the Western Center on Law and Poverty. We are so proud of her. Crystal was the architect of the Women of Color Health Initiatives at the California Wellness Foundation. You see, the campaign that we're talking to you about today is part of a larger body of work that we call the Women of Color Health Initiatives. And there are two initiatives. One focuses on the health and wellness of women who are re communities after having been incarcerated and the other is concerned with reducing the incidence of AIDS and STIs on women of color. I also want to acknowledge Judy Belk, our CEO and president. Judy's not going to be able to be here with us today, but Judy is the visionary behind these initiatives. When she started at Cal Wellness, she proposed to the board that there be a program to address the disproportionate impact of HIV on black women. Black women are 14 times more likely than their white counterparts to be living with HIV. So we're so pleased that Judy was able to realize her vision for Cal Wellness to initiate this vitally important work. And now Casey is going to introduce herself. 
Hi, my name is Casey Bonner. Um, I am so excited to be here with all of you today. And I also feel very fortunate to have been a part of this work from the very beginning. Um, I was part of the original team at Rally, um, a communications firm that conceived of this public awareness campaign called Upspoken and got to come back to this work um, through my own issue advocacy firm, Chroma Collaborative, Chroma Collaborative, where I lead um, campaigns at the intersection of communications and policy. It's really been a joy to work on a campaign. Um, and this was the first one that I ever worked at that was targeted directly at women who looked like me, to work with a team of women who looked like me and who were just leaders in their own right. Um, and to create and sustain something that addresses a critical issue for Black women um, in a way that unapologetically embraces Blackness um, and encompasses how multifaceted we are and leans not into our um, vulnerabilities and challenges, but really leans into our strengths to help Black women overcome those vulnerabilities and challenges. So um, I just feel very fortunate to be here today, but also to have worked on such a uh, wonderful campaign with so many wonderful Black women, which we'll get into in a little bit. All right, terrific. Thanks, Casey. So what is Upspoken? On your screen, you'll see an image from the homepage of UpspokenWomen.com. Upspoken is a public awareness campaign that we mostly conducted digitally. The name is one that we made up, and yes, it was inspired by the idea that Black women are outspoken, but we also didn't want that negative charge that can be on that phrase. We wanted to elicit the feeling that this is a campaign for Black women to speak up for what they want and they need, to be bold. And it's been an inspiring campaign because the focus is on, on empowering Black women to take care of their health, including their sexual health, and to do it in a way that isn't about shaming and blaming them, but rather that honors and celebrates Black women's strengths, creativity, connection to culture, resilience, and smarts. Before we get into the details of our campaign goals, we wanted to bring some of the voices of the audiences that we're serving into the space. In the first year that we did the campaign, we had two live events. One was in Los Angeles and one was in Oakland. So we asked the attendees, what does it mean to be upspoken? And we're gonna give you 60 seconds of their responses. So let me just get this ready. People who can't see the beauty and diversity just aren't worth our time because we know that our skin isn't a sin. The media shows us all the negative things about black women. I've been told I was too loud, too big, too everything. What they can't handle, what they're most afraid of, are women who are upspoken. Upspoken to be upspoken to me is not to let your voice be silenced. Being upspoken is having compassion for myself. Being an upspoken woman is to live 100% in your own skin unapologetically. And upspoken means reaching back and pulling other women up to be with you and to share that space. Just being in the presence of black women, I love and appreciate us. Now we're in a community where we can start to seal those cracks and realize that you are not alone. It's important for us to share with the next generation. 
generation so that they don't make the same mistakes that we have made. So we thought it would be helpful to share just a few of the goals, um, how we engage with women, and also a few of the results from the campaign to ground us a little bit before we jump into the lessons that we learned as the, as the team executing this campaign. So first, we really wanted to raise awareness and create a dialogue among Black women about HIV, um, AIDS, and STIs. Second, we wanted to build a community of women with shared experiences that are empowered to advocate um, for their needs. This was all informed in Sandy. I think we want to put the second goal up as well. Thank you. And um, this was informed by um, background desk research that we did, which included interviews with Cal Wellness staff, as well as women's health experts, background research on HIV, AIDS, and STI data, um, a media analysis of both traditional media as well as media that focused on African Americans, um, in-depth interviews, uh, and two multi-generational focus groups with Black women where we were really able to kind of test the campaign ideas and tactics before we moved into full-on strategy and um, execution mode. But it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't traditional um, pieces of, we didn't run a traditional public awareness campaign, um, particularly in the public health realm that you often see. Um, and while we started with those live events that Sandy talked about, where the real action happened was on, was digitally on social media and through our website. Using images of Black women that cross the spectrum of body type, skin tone, hair type, and using cultural images um, that tapped into the creativity of, and culture of, of the Black community and Black women's community in, in particular, we were able to provide our audience with authentic storytelling that was straight from Black women creators. We were able to grow our audience quickly and really reach our target audience. Um, and as you can see, as you saw from the short video, women who have engaged with us found a safe space where Black women felt valued, their experiences, strengths, and challenges were also validated. Um, in terms of results, we were able to reach, we've been able to reach over 60,000 women on multiple platforms. Uh, we've provided culturally relevant and a resonant space for Black women to speak up about love, relationships, and sex. And you'll see why we did that um, in a little bit. We, we didn't want to just start with the problem, which was HIV, STIs, and AIDS, um, and, and then lead them from that place about talking about love, relationships, and sex towards positive sexual health solutions. But not only did we create opportunity externally for our target audience, we also created it internally. This campaign was really built by Black women. Um, from the communications firm and team who conceived of this, to the writers who will show you just a few of the writers that um, were engaged in this work over, over the course of the campaign here, um, to the event planners, 
everyone who we brought into this space, we really were, were focused on creating opportunity, not just for those um, who, were, who the campaign was targeting to have a safe space, but for women to come in, grow their businesses, um, and grow their capacity to do this kind of work. Uh, as well. And because we we did that, because we got a different, a very, very different perspective um, for, for everything that we did. We also brought in, just to give you a little bit more flavor, the live events that we did were curated and created um, by a Black creative who writes plays of her own and, and produces plays of her own. And so all of that shaped a campaign that that felt authentic to Black women. And I don't think that we could have done that without bringing in the vendors, um, without Cal Wellness bringing in the vendors that they chose. Um, so I'm gonna hand it back over to Sandy to talk a little bit more about the sexual health piece. Yeah, so Royal Tea, hot tips to sip for sexual empowerment. So one of the things that we knew is that Black women didn't have the information that they needed to make well-informed sexual health decisions. So we wanted to create a sexual health toolkit, but we had criteria for this. The toolkit had to be beautiful. It had language that resonated with our audience, and it had to lean into empowering messages that encouraged Black to know their bodies, protect their bodies, and love themselves. So we created royalty. We called it royal because black women are regal and powerful and we wanted to convey that. T to convey the idea that there's secret information that you share with a, a special circle of folk. What you're seeing here are illustrations created to represent the variety of black women's skin colors, body shapes, and ages. We knew this information had to be expert and accurate so we and who were experts on health to guide us. The toolkit has medical information, scripts for having hard conversations with your partner as well as your doctor so that you can know what you wanna protect your body and your health. It has information about what your genitalia look like and sexual and tips for sexual health and pleasure. To date, the toolkit has reached almost 20,000 people with royalty. So that's a, to give you a taste of what the campaign was about. And now what did we learn? Well, one of the most important things is that you need to listen first. Planning must incorporate community. I want you to think a little bit of the planning that went into this, kind of like a layer cake. So the first layer of planning was for the Women of Color Health Initiatives overall. That planning intentionally included voices of the folks who understood our target communities. We had a planning process led by people of color in partnership with our staff of color at Cal Wellness. This included town halls, focus groups, listening sessions, and community forums. Key partners included the Black Women's Health Imperative and the California Black Health Network. UCFS did a great paper for us, which was critical to our thinking on how to launch the work. And Charles Drew University led our focus groups. Second layer of listening was the listening that Raleigh, the communication firm that we worked with, did. And Casey's given you a flavor of that. So we learned a lot in the process of this listening. 
there were, a, for example, there are a variety of factors that affect whether or not black women feel like they can have sex, safe sex, such as whether or not they're financially dependent on their partner. Black women, especially those living paycheck to paycheck and maybe focused on the day to day, that crowds concerns for the future. So instead of focusing on messages about health in the future, we really focused on empowering messages in the now, what women can do now and why it matters now. Culture, music, art, spoken word, which are such a core part of black culture, of black, way, black people's way of seeing things and experiencing life. These were powerful tools for engaging and carrying forth resonant messages. And we also paid heed to the environment in which we're operating. We saw that black women were embracing natural hairstyles, claiming their beauty, whatever the skin color, speaking out against injustice. So we knew we had to leverage that and channel that energy toward challenging taboos around sex and sexual health. So don't jump to conclusions and think that you know the best way to address an issue. And then design for understanding. Care is not the same as understanding. Who you bring in to design your campaign is critical. They must be diverse and have deep connections to the experiences of the audience that you're seeking to reach. A team that reflects and understands the audience, not just but because they care, but because they have shared lived experiences, allows them to see far below the surface of what other, others who don't have those experiences may see. And then, you know, in the case of Upspoken, it was just critically important that it was Black women who were leading the campaign. To have that Black women on staff leading the work at the communications firm, the vendors, everyone who, so many of the people who were involved. Because no matter how much you care, there's just things that you can't know unless you're living in a Black woman's body. Thanks, Sandy. Um, kind of adding to all of that, when, when you are designing a campaign in this way, you really want to understand rather than diagnose. So I'll give an example. Just like in medicine, when you're looking to diagnose a problem, you often completely miss seeing the patient who is right in front of you and in need. Diagnosis really leads to abstraction and often desensitization to the feelings and the needs of the person who's being diagnosed. In this case, um, that would be our audience of Black women. This in turn leads to mistrust and a lack of adherence to any good advice, any advice that might be given, even when the advice is simple and good advice, right? And the same is true of our communications campaigns. When we start with the problem, we often fail to consider who our audience are as people who are living full, busy lives. Um, in doing so, we often overlook the challenges they may have to adopting the solutions that we want to put in front of them, even if they're super simple. And we overlook, and, and importantly, we also overlook strengths that we may be able to tap into that actually makes our jobs as communicators easier. Um, so when we looked at past campaigns that targeted Black women and their sexual health and saw that they had, had limited success in closing disparities in HIV and STI rates, we really wanted to adopt a different approach that began with an understanding of Black women's challenges, their strengths, 
and the and gave us the ability to tap into things that women already love about themselves that would allow engagement with the campaign that could lead to healing and growth and in a way that could address adoption of sexual health, um, of better sexual health practices. Uh, we did find that most of these prior campaigns leaned into narratives that focus on black women, who black women are to other people rather than who black women are to themselves. So our campaign instead sought to focus on black women as individuals. Um, we have strengths, we have vulnerabilities, we have needs, we have wants and desires and concerns that don't have anything to do with anyone else. Um, and those shouldn't uh, and frankly cannot be ignored, couldn't be ignored if we were going to create a solid campaign. Um, we even went so far as to create uh, a fictional persona of the ideal target person in our audience. We gave her a whole backstory, including education and job and the type of relationship she was in, which for us was a situationship versus a relationship. Even in the creation of the campaign, we used um, we use the language that we felt that our that our black women audience were going to be using to, to cre create authentic authenticity throughout. Um, and in doing this, we could really begin to see what challenges black women were facing to prioritizing themselves. The need to separate their identities from others um, and the care that they provided. And more importantly, the strengths that could be tapped into so that they felt empowered to take control of their sexual health. Um, so in turn, so that's the insight, right? Is that we really want to, um, we, we really want to see the challenges and the strengths that we can, that we can use to emphasize with our audience. How do we turn that into practice? We begin with the audience and trying to deeply understand their perspective. And in doing so, we're better able to see where they're currently situated. Um, we're better able to see how far they need to go to arrive at our solution that we want them to take. And we're better able to tap their strengths to make that journey easier. easier. And we stop looking at people as problems. And I know Sandy probably wants me to move on, so I'm going to. But we stop looking at people as problems to solve and empathize with them to create the space for positive agency. So as you think about your campaigns, it's important not just to assume you know your audience. Dig deep to determine what individuals may look like and care about to create a campaign that feels personal, feels authentic, and can be um, internalized. Great, thank you, Casey. Um, so Casey's leading right into it, which is it's so important to use an asset frame. And I know you guys are familiar with Trabian Shorters. So, um, and in fact, he spoke this morning. So just reemphasizing the importance of defining people by their aspirations and contributions rather than what's wrong, right? So just thinking about, you know, when we focus on a problem, Right away, we're focusing on what's wrong and what's not working, and we, whether we mean to or not, tend to make people the problem. A deficit, sorry, I'm having a little, a deficit frame makes it hard for us to focus on where to give people the space and the power they need to make change in their lives. 
Even when talking about challenges with Upspoken, we made sure that we identified the strengths of Black women at all times. At the same time, we wanted to create a space where vulnerability was welcomed, and that gave women a chance to get the support that they needed in the way. Next, we have the the next um, lesson we have is discount no one, and I think this is so important and something that I've carried with me throughout my career. I started my career in a high school classroom, and I often tell people that I learned more from my 14 and 15 year olds than I think they ever learned from me. Um, and I think sometimes we have these habits of mind, right? Um, where we're educated and we've been working in the space for a really long time and we think that we, and, and we can get to a place where we think we know everything that there is to know. But obviously, we can't ever know everything there is to know. And we all have these habits of mind that prevent us from really seeing the entirety of an issue, as well as the entirety of the impact it has on the communities that we serve. Um, it's okay not to know everything, but the problem is when we refuse to acknowledge um, that reality and we refuse to grow and change and bring in people who can help us see beyond uh, what our own horizon is, right? So while we can't know everything, we can intentionally work uh, in community with others to identify our gaps in knowledge and really determine um, and really determine how best to bridge them. To do this uh, as, as a team, we focused on bringing the individuals most marginalized into the center and started there. We created opportunities, which we've already, you know, shared with you from the very beginning of this work, from listening to community partners um, before a campaign even, even got off the ground to understand that this work was necessary. Um, we created opportunities to actually hear from our audience uh, through focus groups and interviews and extensive social media listening and analysis. And more importantly, we continued throughout this entire campaign to interrogate our assumptions and take input and guidance from our audience whenever possible. And that really allowed us as the campaign moved on to make critical adjustments in content to better meet needs. It meant that we were actually able to identify the point at which women were no longer just coming into the conversation and only felt comfortable talking about love and relationships, but we could actually start to move into that more taboo topic about sex. And once we were in, and once we got into the, into the sex conversation, we could then move on to actually talking about sexual health in a meaningful way um, that was empowering, that gave women the tools that they needed. But as you can see, we, ne we, we didn't start <laughs> at that solution. Um, we actually took people on a guided tour. And, by do and the only reason we were able to do that is because we trusted our audience to tell us what they needed. We didn't think that we had all the solutions. Um, and then our final lesson, which is really my favorite one, um, is not only design in disruption, but design for disruption. And I'll take, and I'll take the uh, second one first. So 
we really approached this campaign from a point of view that what had been given to Black women before had not worked. And it hadn't worked, it, and there were reasons for why it hadn't worked um, that Sandy went over. Um, and in doing that, we, we took the approach that we need to disrupt these traditional public health campaigns and come at this from a very different angle. We actually need to think about where are Black women, what are the things that they're facing in their day-to-day -day lives, what is keeping them um, from uptaking these solutions that for many of us in the public health space, for many people who work in the public health space, just seem like most of these sol solutions are pretty simple, right? Wear a condom. Um, you know, you know, go go to your go to your doctor and get tested. But there were all of these things that were standing in the way of Black women doing that. So we wanted we wanted to actually start prior to all of those barriers, so that we could help women maneuver around them, so that they could actually see the solution and say, "Oh, that's a good one for me to take in this moment." Um. And Thanks, Sandy. <laughs> and the second piece of this is that we didn't intentionally, is the design in disruption. We did not intentionally design in disruption, but we had our, we had disruption at every turn from our fearless leader, Crystal, Crystal Crawford. And I'll give you a short example of this. Um, there was a point in the campaign when we were trying to figure out how to do our creative live events. And we had talked about bringing in a team of um, an improv team that the creative team was actually white. And while the actresses were going to be to be black women, so the people who would be seen externally were black, the creative team wasn't. And Crystal very rightly said to our entire team, you know, that just doesn't sit well with me. We're creating a campaign for Black women, and yet we're not giving Black women the opportunities to lead this. And I tell you what, I don't know if we're going to get the same product that we would get if we brought in Black women to do this. And my team just, I mean, they were, they were astounded by this feedback. They felt attacked in many ways. Um, and I had to have some pretty tough conversations with members of my team who felt that way um, to share with them that Crystal was right. Um, and she was right to challenge us to be better. And I recently, I recently heard in a documentary that, uh, that I just watched that you know the challengers are actually the optimists. They, even when they don't have a solution, they believe that things can be better, that the work can be better. So um, one of the best lessons that I have taken out of this work and that I will take far into the rest of my career is that I want people who challenge me. I want the people who will poke holes in ideas um, until there are no more holes to poke because it means that when they see the cracks in the pavement, those cracks never turn into sinkholes because we, we saw, we, we um, mitigate any risks from them on the front end rather than having to do it on the back end. 
Um, so I would invite all of you to not only disrupt in your design, but also to design in that disruption and design in the challengers to your work. And I'll hand it back over to you, Sandy. So um, I don't know quite how that went for folks. We were going to kind of set you up a little bit, um, but I'm curious, I see, I would love to just give Crystal Crawford 30 seconds to get her voice in the room since we've been lauding you, Crystal. And then if people wanna share what showed up for them in the, our last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, that would be great. Well, thank you so much for doing a great job, Casey and Sandy, of telling the story of the work. I'm so very proud of you and thanks for the shout out. Um, you know, this is about, it's a, this is a FUBU thing, right? For us, by us. Um, and that's what this work was about. And you all have told that story so well and um, the integrity and joy and love that we poured into the work. So I'm proud of y'all and thank you so much for your sisterhood and, and hard, work, hard work on this campaign. It was a joy working with you. Oh, thank you, Crystal, feeling you. All right, people, so we're gonna take a look at the chat, but if you wanna share like in your impromptu sessions, um, did you think of ways that you might apply this to a project or a campaign that you're thinking about? I see a question about the narrative process. Crystal, do you wanna say a word or two about that? process with the listening campaign that informed the, the, the uh, initiatives? I'm gonna let Casey do it. Go presenter Casey, you, you, right. worked on, you worked on that process. Thank you for the deference though, I appreciate it. Um, so I, I can't speak to the, to the process before we were brought on as a communications firm, Crystal, but what I can speak to is what we did as a communications firm in addition to that. It was really important for us to get a broad perspective from, um, from a multi-general audience of multi-generational audience of, of Black women. So our focus groups included women from 18 to 44. Um, same with our in-depth interviews that we conducted. Um, we asked them a variety of questions. They um, covered a plethora of different re relationship statuses, um, socioeconomic statuses. Um, we made sure that we had people in the room and that we talked to people who were probably going to be experiencing the most challenges. So when Sandy talked about, for example, that you know, um, women who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are not thinking about um, two days in the future, let alone maybe six months in the future um, when something might come up with their health. They're just trying to make decisions for the here and now. How do I feed my family? How do I, how do I experience a little bit of joy in all of this? Um, and what does that mean for, for me now? So we wanted to identify who were the women who were most likely um, to be having that lived experience and make sure that they were in the room. On the other hand, we wanted to also have people from, uh, 
from the other side of the spectrum, right? Who maybe weren't experiences experiencing as many challenges, but they have young people in their, in their lives that they can talk to. They have older women in their lives that they can be talking to. So we really viewed everyone um, within this audience as a key messenger for us, as long as we created a space in which they felt empowered to do so. And that began with making sure that we had the broadest um, kind of swath, I think, of people come into the process while also centering those who are going to be most marginalized. Casey, I see a question here about what kind of did you ask when you brought the listening groups together? Sure. Um, so at that point, we had some ideas about the campaign. So for the focus groups in particular, um, we asked questions that were specifically targeted um, at whether or not we had kind of gotten some of the initial campaign elements and tactics that we were thinking about right. Um, we asked questions about, you know, how they get information about sex right now. How do they get information about sexual health? What are the things that they care about in a relationship? What are the things that are holding them back in their relationships from making their, um, from making their needs known to their intimate partners? Um, we asked, are there any challenges that you want to share? And in the in-depth interviews, which were one-on-one -on -one interviews, we got a lot more of that information. So we got really, um, we got really intimate details from women about the lives that they were that they were leading and the challenges that they were facing in their everyday lives, um, unfortunately, you know those, those we wanna we wanna protect the privacy of, of folks, so um, that's still internal information. But those are the kinds of questions we asked. We asked some really personal questions, in particular, in the private interviews that were one on one, um, that were specifically about. Um, sexual health practices, how often, you know, people, you know, what their sexual activity looked like um, and how they were protecting themselves. So those types of questions were some of the things that we asked, but we also asked those larger cultural questions about what do folks care about? What actually moves you to take action? What are the things that you're engaging with in your daily lives um, that, you know, bring you uh, online that make you want to engage with something on social media so that we could really understand what we needed to make our content look like to make sure that people um, not only looked at it, but engaged with it and had sustained engagement with it. And, you know, we've been fortunate, we've been able to, to grow some pretty large audiences to make ourselves a micro influencer in a very short period of time. Yeah, um, there's a question about what was our biggest challenge in the process, and I'm going to say a couple words about that, and then I would love, um, Casey, for you to address the one about identifying strengths used in the framing, um, the asset framing. I would say one of the challenges um, from the perspective of doing the work is having to balance time with really being and doing the listening that we needed to do as we went through the process. You know, there are times when you just want to go from A to B and get something done quickly, and um, really and truly, you know, Crystal would remind us and that, well, we need to involve certain other folks, whether they be health experts or 
just take our time. So I think that that's something a lot of us fight for, fight ourselves on is time, right? Finishing things quickly and quickly doesn't always get you equity. So Casey, could you um, chat about the strength? Um, which question is this? So how we thought about identifying strengths used in the asset framing. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of ways, we used our own lives. Um, we have lots of strengths as, as Black women that people just often kind of pass by, right? Um, for example, there was a young woman in the video who talked about, um, you know, people think she's too loud and she's too much. Well, instead for us, we thought that, that we framed that as a strength. That's actually a strength for us to sometimes be too loud because we're, we're always placed in, um, in a situation in which our voices aren't heard even when we are loud. So it is not, when your voice is not being heard, it is not a weakness to be loud. You need to be loud and as loud as you can be until somebody hears you and makes sure that your needs are met. And we wanted Black women to see that that, that, that the, the volume of their voice was not a problem. It was an asset um, for them. Um, being too much means that you have personality and strength, and that should be embraced. That shouldn't be moved away from. And anybody who tells you differently, that's their problem. It's not yours. So when we thought about strengths, we often thought about all of the things that people were saying um, were wrong with Black women and really turned that into something that we could tap into to reach them and say, nah, this is, that is not how this conversation is gonna go. We are, we are actually going to, we are going to use that um, and turn it into the power behind this campaign to create agency. All right, beautiful, getting me all roused <laughs> up. So you guys, it's one o'clock and I see that people are starting to step off. Um, Casey and I are both available. Um, my last slide, contact info, but if you're attending this conference, I think it's pretty easy for you to get our contact info. I, um, mine is smith at calwellness.org and Casey, what's yours? Mine is kbonner at chromacollaborative.com. Uh, and I believe it's on the, the contact information is on the ComNetB website as well. All right. So it's just been a pleasure having you all with us. Thank you so much and enjoy the conference. And keep on speaking up. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.